I cannot think of a nobler gathering than together to worship the one who has paid the penalty for my sin. And tonight, that's exactly what we're going to focus on by the grace of God. We want to welcome everyone. I, even when I say I welcome you, I wonder if that's even proper. What's really proper is that the Lord receives the glory. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about something tonight that is very, very important, and yet it's not important at all. I don't know how many of you are aware, but April 25th, coming up, the United States Supreme Court has agreed to take up a case whether or not voluntary prayer in public places is allowed. I think that's kind of important. If that would rule the wrong way, it'd make some of the prison ministries difficult. We wouldn't be gathered tonight if it would rule what we would consider the wrong way. And it's hard to believe that that's where we are in our nation. And I was thinking about that today and praying about it, and then it struck me. It doesn't make any difference. My Lord died on the cross for me. And they can do anything they want. Governments can rise and fall. Kingdoms can come and go. All kinds of things can happen. Hallelujah. Jesus reigns. Amen. And he died for me and he died for you. Is there anything, is there anything more precious than that? I don't want to take our brother's time tonight. I want to share just one incident when we went into prison with him. It's been a number of years ago. I, I think it was in London. But I'm not, I'm not even sure of that. And there was a large African-American man that we sat down and we were conversing with. And I remember, um, Glendon, you had told us that to be a little bit careful because some of the prisoners don't ever want to accept the fact that they're there and they don't think they should be there. And so they don't want to admit their problem. But this large African-American man, I was sitting and talked to him and he started to weep. He had found Jesus in prison. He'd found Jesus in prison and he knew that he belonged there and what he'd done was wrong. And he looked forward to the day when his sins would be forgiven by the government and he would be released and set free. The gospel does the same thing to you and I, brother and sister. We are all in prison. We are all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. And Jesus died on that cross to pay the penalty and set me free. That's why we're here tonight. You know that. Let's go to prayer. This Let's just go to prayer right now. <coughs> oh, Lord Jesus, we know that you promised to hear us. And Holy Spirit, you promised to be here. 
And Lord, you sent us your word, the Holy Scriptures. We are blessed. We cannot comprehend. Dear Lord, help us to understand tonight, to comprehend just a little more. It seems to us that if we could comprehend what you have done for us, the price that you have paid, that so many of the little and petty and, and things that trouble us wouldn't seem so big to know that our Savior loves us and that we are set free by the blood of the crucified one. Lord, we pray tonight, Lord, that you would, you would be here, you would be in every soul, even the children, even the small ones, perhaps that are very, very young, and even though they may not comprehend, there would be a sweetness in their soul that would grow from this worship service. We ask that you would lift up Brother Glendon, and you would be all in all to him. You would be memory, you would be voice, you would be body language, you would be the message, you'd be the whole thing so that you would be glorified. Lord, we never know what all is going on when we gather. No doubt there are some that are at a place where two ways meet. Lord, help them to see. Draw them by the cords of affection and love and with the word of God. Help them to realize that the blood of the crucified one is the only way they can live a wholesome, cleansed, and eternal life. We just thank you and we love you for all that you have done and are doing and will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have been um, into prison with the Gospel Echoes. The Harvest Team, which is... Glendon and uh, Lorna. What's I'm just going to tell you a little bit. If I got this right, tell me if I'm wrong. Um, they were both serving in prison before you were married. Yeah, after, actually. actually, after? We got married first. Got married first. Okay, I got it wrong. But I understood that you had met in prison work. That's not quite right then. Okay, sorry about that. But they have served I don't know how many years, how many places... And, uh, you know, there's, there's one thing in, our, in the day and age that you and I live. We need faithful men and women and faithful families that regardless of what comes, they're still there serving the Lord. Lord, help us to be among them. Glendon, it's a privilege to have you tonight. Good evening. Greetings in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm overwhelmed to be here tonight with the responsibility and the opportunity to re represent Christ on this Good Friday, a day that we specially remember his death. And if you came tonight lost, I hope you don't leave lost. The most important thing you can ever do in life is to get right with God. And I hope that somehow God can give me some kind of utterance that that message might be clear tonight. 
There's hope in Christ. We live in a miserable world. We live in a lost world, and it's been that way since time began, since the fall. But somehow today, it seems as dark as it's ever been. At least it's as dark as it's ever been in my lifetime. I also believe that these are great days for ministry and for opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if there's ever been a greater opportunity because everybody's concerned about the condition we're in. And they might have their reasons and their thoughts about where we're going and why things are the way they are, but everybody knows we're in trouble. And so it's a great time. Tonight, I've titled the message, The Savior, The Cross, and the transaction. And I hope that somehow tonight you can go to the cross. And not just to a cross where there is wood, nails, and blood, but somehow you can be in the presence of God, His Son, Jesus the Christ. And not some kind of weird imagery or imagination or something, but that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you come to the foot of the cross. And somehow in a fresh way, you recognize all that he has done. And that's a lifetime of learning. And all that happened on the cross and through those transactions. We do well on Good Friday to have a service, to think of his death, to remember. Uh, we have different kinds of memorials that help us remember things that have happened in our past. Tragedies, triumphs. When I think of memorials, I think of a couple places that I have been. And one of those is Oklahoma City. I don't know how many of you have been to Oklahoma City downtown where the Mira building was bombed in 1995 on April the 19th. 168 people lost their life. And if you would go there, you would see uh, a memorial a pool, a reflection pool, and then you would see empty chairs, glass-based chairs, representing those who lost their life on that day. They lost their life due to a big explosion because someone was angry at the government. And one of the fine, I don't know how many have been there. Have some of you probably been through there and have seen the memorial? If you ever get a chance, you need to go. It really makes you think about life. It makes you think about man, about the sinfulness of man, and also how that city recovered and didn't give up. One of the things that happens at that memorial, you get down towards the end, and there's a sign. And it speaks out to those who were charged with the bombing. And there's a statement that goes something like this. The very law, the very country that you tried to destroy is giving you a fair trial. And we know they were found guilty, charged, and uh, those things were carried out. But it's quite a place. And when you stand there and you see the loss of life and the many innocent people that die, you wonder how such a dark day could come. In 1972, I had the privilege of serving in Central America. There was a great earthquake. It took the life of 10,000 people. I was stationed about 50 miles out. Uh, we felt a bit of a tremor, had no idea what it was, but the next morning uh, our neighbors were telling us in a rural area that 
that the city was on fire and there was a tremendous earthquake. We went to town and we saw horrific sights. Buildings collapsed on people, burning bodies, open graves where 10,000 people were buried. It was a horrendous sight. I'll never forget that day. Another memorial that I shall never forget is we had the privilege of going to Israel a number of years ago. We went to the Holocaust Museum. And there is on display candles lit and it's set up in a way that reflects and it multiplies itself. And it's a memorial to the six million plus Jews that were, lives were taken during Holocaust. I'd like to take you to another memorial today if we could. If we were in Israel, we could go to where the cross was, where Jesus gave his life. And I have a couple pictures of crosses here. I'd like to just uh, show you these as we think about the cross tonight. When you see a cross on the side of the road, I think we can go ahead with this if I got it working right. When you see a cross on the side of the road, you know somebody died and somebody cried. There's a cross less than 100 yards from our home where a man died. It was gunfire. It was, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. It was about nine o'clock at night. I had just walked across the street. And uh, as it turned out, it was gang warfare. It was retaliation. And somebody was driving by in a car. And I saw the car um, that was waiting just across the street in front of a garage, uh, uh, automobile garage that's across the street. And I saw the car and I thought it a little bit suspicious. I walked into the house and just got up by my house, which is maybe 100 feet from the road. And I heard this loud explosion, and it sounded like a gunshot, and sure enough it was. Uh, a man's life was taken right there, and there's a cross that sits there just a few feet from our house. Some people wear a cross around their neck. I suppose today, if it was today, and it was remembering the way men are executed today, maybe you would wear an electric chair or something that represented lethal injection because the cross represents a transaction that took place. God grades on the cross and not on the curb. Churches are divided over displaying the cross and I don't take issue with, with that. The cross is a very important part of the Christian life. The cross has done its work but men have put crosses up, rather large crosses, from time to time. Here's the Peace Cross. It's a war memorial in Maryland. It's about 40 feet tall. And it's a memory also to those who have died. Here's another cross in Baltimore. That's about 40 feet tall. It's a Celtic cross. Here's one in the, in the Andes. I have my coordinated here. Actually, this one's in Bolivia. It's about 132 feet tall. Here's another cross in Spain, the Valley of the Fallen. All over the world, we'll find crosses. 
the Cross Foundation started putting up these crosses. This is out in Effingham, Illinois. This one has a, a bit of significance. One night we were leaving on tour and uh, we got as far as Kokomo, not very far from home, and uh, it was raining and turning a bit icy and our wipers stopped working and we spent, I don't know, it seemed like eight hours working on that. Finally, just one thing after another happened. We had electrical problems and I was thinking, you know, maybe we're not supposed to go on this tour. Uh, maybe we should have stayed home. We started driving. It was about two or three in the morning and I just prayed, God, show me if this is where we're supposed to be. And the next scene was this cross on Interstate 70. Here's another cross in Costa Rica. It's on top of a mountain. Had the privilege of hiking to the top of this, this mountain one time to see this cross. Here's another cross in West Virginia. And you may have noticed there are three crosses together with this organization that puts these up. There's over 1,800 of these placed around the country. Here's a cross. This is some inmate art. And uh, we get some really interesting art. I find this one here to be a bit interesting. <coughs> the cross reaching down and man reaching up. Here's one more picture. Jesus in the carpenter shop. I love this picture. Even at that age, I think Jesus knew that he was headed for the cross. Let's go to a memorial here tonight. The cross and the grave. What do we know about the cross? What was Jesus doing on the cross? What's the big deal about the cross? What do you see when you look into the face of Jesus on the cross? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to go to several different passages here in the beginning, and then we're going to go to Matthew's Gospel and kind of follow the narrative of the crucifixion. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world sees God's plan as foolishness. The humble origin, the way that Jesus came to this earth as a poor baby. No pomp, no power, no wealth. They despised anyone who hung on a cross. A cross is for thieves, for imposters. It's a way to punish slaves, and so they didn't want to have any part of a cross. The philosophers of Jesus' day scorned any kind of suffering. The world measures all things by success, and the cross certainly didn't represent any kind of success. Rather, it represented failure. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23 for the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, 
to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. There are times when we gather in prison and chapels are used by multiple religions and uh, when we get done with the service we need to take the crosses down for sure. It's such an offense to some of the other religions. One of those places I remember is the Valley State Prison in Chowchilla, California. A place where there were 4,000 female prisoners. Now it has changed over to a men's prison. But I remember the, the room was full and there was excitement for the gospel. But at the end, we had to take the crosses down from the chapel walls. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 2. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There are those who say, you Christians and your bloody Christianity... I want to remind you tonight, without the shedding of blood, there is no stopping sin's penalty. Hebrews 9.22, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. I'd like to go down through the crucifixion of Christ and what led up to that. I believe that this must be preached. Testimonies are important to hear the changes in the hearts of men and the hearts of women, but the gospel must be shared, the scripture must be preached, the word must be shared, because this is the power of God. This story, what Christ has done, that will save your soul. It will turn your life around. And it's only in Him, in Christ alone, through faith alone, there is no other way. We're going to start off at the betrayal, and we might, might move through this. Um, I asked Brother, Brother Gish how many, uh, what he was thinking for time, and he said 15 minutes is short, an hour might be there, and I've only got 16 pages here, so I'm trying to try to condense this. I usually have four, but we're going to move through this and want to cover as much of this as we can here tonight. Matthew 26, verse 47, and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. And now his betrayer had given him a sign, them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and they laid hands on him and they took him. Jesus, in a moment, says, if you're going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword the servant, and struck the servant of the high priest, and he cut off his ear. Peter took that sword. I don't think he was going for his ear. <laughs> I think he ducked, and that's all that, that Peter got. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. We know that Jesus had all the power at his fingertips to destroy this whole group of people that had come. Judas and his entire company. In fact, he could have called in the SWAT team. S-W-A-T stands for Strategic War Angels team. A real SWAT team. We have SWAT teams in prison and uh, just recently, when we were doing the cookie project, the Indiana State Prison, 
Uh, we were, it's, everything turned different this year, but as we went in, uh, we took all the cookies because we could only deliver them at the dock. We couldn't go inside, so we put them in a semi and uh, went to the Indiana State Prison. But there's one problem. The entire semi doesn't fit in the sally port. And uh, so the way this system is set up, one gate will open electronically, the other gate will open by manually cranking that, but that cannot be done without two officers that are armed standing shotgun at the front gate. If there was ever a time I wish I had a camera, it was then, and of course we couldn't take that picture, but they called in the, the shotgun uh, officers and they came and they stood one on one side of the gate fully loaded and ready to go, and one on this gate while we backed the semi in and uh, got down inside and, and unloaded the cookies and then came back out. When we got ready to come back out, same thing, they had to call for the shotgun guard and it took them about an hour before they got there. And uh, that gave us a great opportunity to talk to some of the officers that were working uh, this particular sally port, this particular gate. Prison has SWAT teams and uh, these guys are trained to do things, but nothing would be the match of this SWAT team that Jesus could have called. Verse 53, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be written thus? Jesus was not a thief. He was not a robber. They had seen him in the temple. Why did they come at this hour? Verse 55, in that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, and all the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus is now led away. Verse 57, and those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest where the scribes and elders were assembled. Peter is already getting himself in trouble. He starts to follow at a distance. One of the ways that you might know that you're in trouble or somebody's in trouble is when you start following Jesus from a distance. Verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now this hearing is getting ready to take place. The religious people of that day were not in tune with what God was doing. They had plenty of ideas of what could and what could not be of God. It was illegal by their own law to start a trial at night for a capital offense. Any false witness was to be stoned. And no witnesses were to be called on by the judge. But they didn't follow that rule. Verse 59, now the chief priests... And the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But none could, but, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to them, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds in heaven. 
Here Caiaphas is trying to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. He couldn't find any legitimate charge, and so he made up his own. And he was very upset by Jesus' silence. Verse 65, then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He's deserving a death. And then it just goes downhill from there. They spit in his face. They beat him. They struck him with open palms. A soldier struck Jesus across the face for, remi- for remaining silent and, and being questioned, one question by Caiaphas. Verse 67, then they spat in his face and they beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands. What a dark time this was. The palace guards blindfolded Jesus. They mocked him. They taunted him. They spat upon him. They struck his face. Crucifixion would start with the scourging of the one who was suffering. The whip likely had tails that had glass sharp objects. And it would tear the skin open as the person was being flogged. And there would literally be, literally, literally be ribbons of flesh hanging from the one who was beaten. They would give them vinegar, something to numb the pain just a bit so they could continue without them passing out, beating and beating his back. The criminal then would be tied to a wall to suffer. Verse 68, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you. Verse 69, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, you were also with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied him with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out, and he wept bitterly. I can kind of see Peter... When that rooster crows, all of a sudden he gets his senses. He kind of feels the weight of what has happened. And I can kind of see him looking at Jesus to see if Jesus noticed. And I think that look that Jesus gave back to Peter was a look of love, a look of mercy, a look of forgiveness. Let's go to Matthew 27, verse 1. Jesus is bound and he sent to Pontius Pilate. And Judas admits his guilt, and he returns the money, and he hangs himself in a field of blood. At this time, when Jesus was on trial, it was the practice for the judge to be seated, and the one being charged was to stand while the testimony was given. Picture this scene. The eternal Son of God, in human nature, the Lord of life, standing before the heathen judge, Here's Jesus standing in court, the court of man, the court of men, when in time he himself 
will be the judge on that judgment day. It was not for any sin of his own that he was standing there, but for the sins of the whole world. Pilate's office was to protect innocent men. Now Jesus, in verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus said to him, It is as you say. You see, Jesus' kingdom was not of any earthly kingdom or dominion. Pilate, I think, was concerned about if Jesus was going to set something up that would take his place. In the face of slander and abuse, Jesus said nothing. Jesus knew more about what was going on than anybody else that was speaking. He could see beyond the present, and yet he held his tongue. The charges were false, and Jesus could have said plenty. So often, he spoke with authority and corrected those who were wrong and were untruthful. He was silent. That is love. The punishment was not for him, but for sins of the very people that were putting him on trial. Your sin and mine. Verse 12, And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him, Not one word. So the governor marveled greatly. It was a custom, most, it was a custom most likely a Roman custom, to release people, one prisoner, from prison at the feast of the Passover. Verse 15, Now at the feast of the governor, at the feast of the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner they wished. And this person that they were going to tell of Barabbas was a thief. He was a chief of thieves. He had started riots. He was a wanted criminal. He was a destroyer. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of capital offenses. Verse 16, at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And therefore when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want to release to you, Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Even Pilate didn't understand the logic of those wanting to get rid of him. Why would they choose a wicked man like Barabbas, who had caused so much trouble over this Jesus? Even Pilate's wife got the picture and warned Pilate. Said, this man's innocent. Have nothing to do with his blood. Verse 19, and while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want to release to you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. Crucifixion was a cursed death. It's absolutely the worst thing, the most shameful thing that could come against any man in judgment. Verse 23, then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried all the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but, yet, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it. The blood stains 
I think, still remain in a lot of ways. And all the people answered and said, His blood be upon us and our children. They said, we'll take responsibility. And you know, I believe that some of the grief that the Jews have had is because of this statement. I believe that they are God's chosen people, but there was a price to pay for what happened. Verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldier of the governor, governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. This robe was a mockery because it represented royalty and sovereignty. They put a crown of thorns to mock him and to cause pain. The reed as a scepter was a mockery of his very power. The golden scepter, which would be held out by the king if he wanted to welcome the visitor, it was mockery. Isaiah 9.6 says this, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The one who they were mocking is the King of Kings. He's the Prince of Peace. He is the one that decides whether you are saved or not saved because it is by his works. Back into Matthew Verse uh, 28. Of the increase, or verse 29. When they, set, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him and took the reed and, stuck, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to be crucified. Roman historical accounts and the experiments show that during the crucifixion it was most likely that the nails were driven here in his palm so that it would not come through his bones as he was nailed to the cross. Verse 32, now as they came out they found a man of Cyrene Simon by name. They compelled him to bear the cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, he drink, didn't drink the sour wine which is given so a person's mind would become dull and fuzzy. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but he had tasted it. When he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, they divided my garments among them, and for the clothing they cast lots. Verse 36, sitting down, they kept watch over him there. There was a sign over the cross that said, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Verse 37, they put over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. He was crucified between two thieves, the Bible says. We know that while he was there, the one thief turned to him and said, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? 
The other one had mocked him and railed upon him. Said, if you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself? You saved others. But he turned to the one who asked to be remembered and said, today you were with me in paradise. Sometimes we in prison ministry think that God's just waiting for one more inmate to say yes to Jesus. He's going to call us all home. The place where Jesus died and settled the debt of sin. He left the splendor of heaven and came to this earth to give his life. He was executed as a condemned prisoner. I wonder where you are in your life. When trials come and you are tested, where do you go? How is your faith through these storms that we face currently? Where do the tests take you? I'll tell you where the tests have taken me. They've taken me to the Word of God. And as I thought about our country crumbling and what is next, what if our country falls, what do I have? I have everything. I know Christ and my faith is in him. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. We live in a time when more people have lost hope and find themselves in depression than we have in a long, long time. I believe that God is a sovereign God. When you can come to that point in your life and your faith where you believe that, you will have hope and you will get through the difficulties of life. What happens at this cross? What do you see when you see this Jesus on the cross? The cross is a place of forgiveness, a place to find a way to forgive those who have hurt you. It's not just vertical, but it's horizontal. One of the greatest things that could happen this Easter weekend if you could, most of all, know forgiveness with him, but then to know forgiveness with your brothers and sisters around you. It's a place to let go. It's a place where your rights can be looked after by the Christ. It's a place for cleansing, a place for healing, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, a place where Jesus goes with you to the Father, a place where authority is established, it's a place of surrender. It's a place of selflessness. It's a place of sovereignty. A place of costly transaction. A place of faith. A place of trust. A place of loud, reckless grace where God can do what He wants to do in His way. It's a place of steep climbing. The hardest for thing for any man to do is to submit and to get to the cross and to know the work of the cross and the power of the cross, you have to submit. You have to come under the authority of that transaction. It's a place of endurance. It's a place of victory, a place of pain, a place of burden. It can be a place of loneliness, a place of humiliation, and a place of humility. If you are struggling today in a difficult time, I challenge you to put your faith in this Jesus who gave his life for you. 
The weekend's not over. He's not going to stay on the cross. He's not going to stay in the tomb. Sunday's coming. And there's a resurrection power. But we have to go to the cross. We have to receive what Christ has done for the penalty of our sin. Commit your way to him. Peace with God comes by way of the cross. Peace with your past comes by the way of the cross. Forgiveness comes by the way of the cross, both vertical and horizontal. There's a song I'd like to cl close with. Just a tiny little boy stood in tears as he tried to explain. Start over. Just a tiny little boy stood in tears. On the busy street, street corner, what was he doing here? As he tried to explain, all he knew was his name, but it was late beginning to rain. So I asked him about the place where he lived, and he remembered the old church where the big cross was lit. And then his eyes opened, and he said with a smile, If you could get me to the cross, I could find my way home. Show me the cross, and I'll find my way home. Show me the cross, and I'll know where to go. When I'm there beneath the cross, I'm no longer lost. Show me the cross and I'll find my way home. There was a lonely old pathway I had walked. It was far from familiar. I found myself lost. But I remember the place where I first saw his face. I cried, Lord, get me to the cross, and I'll find my way home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the cross. Thank you that you gave your life you shed your blood on the cross. There is a fountain flowing. And oh God, whatever it is that is holding anyone back tonight, I pray that they would see afresh there is forgiveness at the cross. The Son of God who left the splendor of heaven came to this earth, gave his life, no one took it, so that we could be free. Free from the debt of sin free from ourselves, free from our mistakes, free from the stuff we've done and the stuff we didn't do that we should have done. Oh God, you have made a way that we can know you. And God, we know it was your love that never said a mumbling word. You had the power to overthrow any earthly kingdom and anything that was set against you. But you took our place. Tonight, we're grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the finished work. We're grateful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, I pray for everyone here tonight. If there's anyone who doesn't know you, who has not embraced the cross, that transaction between heaven and hell, where Jesus gave his life to set us free. Oh, God, set the captive free tonight. Lord, we know you're able. And we call upon you for victory. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Worship his majesty, uh, 
seated. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Certainly. So what is the most important? The cross or the transaction? They both are, right? For some, the transaction takes a lifetime. For some, a few years. For some, just a moment. There could be someone here tonight that has been hanging in that balance and something was said just right tonight and the Spirit of God got a hold of you and that transaction took place in a moment. And if that did take place, I encourage you not to bury that, but to, but to come forward. Allow Christ to come forward in your life and change your life. I was reading this week about the Great Silver Bridge. And I never really, I've heard of it before, but never really read about it. A, a bridge that spanned 700 feet across the Ohio River down at Gallup Police. And it was, it was known as the greatest design at the, of the time. And it wasn't very many years old. I don't remember when it was built, but in 1967 it collapsed and took a, a few souls with it. That bridge was made similar to our big cable suspension bridges today, but instead of cables, it was big iron cross links or links. In other words, instead of a cable, it would have looked like a bicycle chain, only those links would, would have weighed hundreds if not thousands of pounds, each one of them, creating that flexible steel beam across the Ohio River. And one afternoon when the bridge was loaded, one of those links cracked. And engineers had asked themselves when designing this bridge, what was the most important part of that bridge? Was it the foundation? There was two large towers with footings deep into the Ohio River bank or bed. There was concrete building the towers, rising high into the air. The deck was made especially for this design with some flexibility. What was the most important part? The footing, the concrete, the deck, the cables, or these steel links? The conclusion was all of them, of course, because if anything would have failed, it could have come down. But I, I, was, I was inspired, I was actually warned that one of those big heavy links, and you can picture a bicycle chain and how that's coupled together or a roller chain, a scale 50 roller chain maybe with this, each link was huge, I forget, I think each link was 60 feet long. And one of those links cracked, stress cracked. So I ask you tonight, what is the most important thing? 
the cross or the transaction. Where I underlined in my Bible in this very chapter that Glendon closed with in verse 35, Matthew 27, 35, and they crucified him. The next chapter, he is not here for he is risen. I've wondered if everything doesn't hang on those two phrases. I've wondered if if those two phrases was removed from the Bible, obviously the Bible wouldn't have been written, but if those two phrases was removed from our lives, certainly we would, we would collapse. The transaction has to take place for the cross to be effective, and that's what the message was tonight. We use the terminology a lot of times that we need to apply it into our lives, saying the same thing. But I like the word transaction because it has to be, it has to go from here to here. And again, sometimes it takes a lifetime, sometimes it takes a moment. But it's so important that we allow that transaction to take place. I thought about Galatians 2.20 because that is that transaction verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of Man who gave himself for me who loved me and gave himself for me. The transaction has to take place. I was sitting here thinking tonight, and this is a bit personal, of at least three different young men that has been in my living room over the last maybe 15 years. Coming with challenges in their life and we invited them in, and we talked about problems, we talked about sin, we talked about challenges, disappointments. We talked about the cross with all three of them at different times, sometimes years apart. And I remember inviting them to kneel with me in prayer and to visualize the cross in their mind and to visualize the challenge that was before them or the sin and to visualize taking that to in their mind's eye taking that to the very cross of Jesus and putting that at the foot of the cross and we prayed together and then I encouraged them to when to walk away from that and to let that at the cross, whatever it was. And I, I knew what it was, but I won't share that tonight. Because the foot of the cross is the point of transaction. And there are so many people today that flocks into their churches and they hear about the cross. They know about the cross. They even see pictures of the cross but they can't make that transaction. And I encourage you tonight, 
come to the foot of the cross. Whatever it is that's bothering you, if it's a sin issue, you must leave it there. You must find forgiveness. But even if it's a discouragement or a challenge in your life or something that's bringing you down, leave that at the cross tonight and find that transaction. Glendon and Lorna has seen firsthand many, many men that have found freedom in that transaction process. And tonight, that's what we want for you. And that's why they traveled from their home to, to here, is to share that gospel message with us. And we have to apply it into our lives. We must find freedom in the cross. Like he closed with, we're thankful that he did not stay on the cross. We're thankful he did not stay in the tomb. But he rose again on the third day. Sunday morning, we're to have a breakfast here. Uh, first, devotions. Make sure I get this right. Devotions in this sanctuary at 8.30. And then followed by breakfast. And then after that is our normal worship service back here in the sanctuary. Everyone's invited for that. I know some of you have your own uh, churches and, and worship service going on there. So God bless you there. Um, yeah, Wednesday evening, the congregation is to meet here to do some work around this facility outside and maybe in as well. And next Sunday, of course, then uh, regular worship service, Sunday school at 930 and worship service at 1030. We're thankful that everyone has come this evening, uh, especially you young people. It's really neat to see the young people come in for this message. Uh, there is probably no greater message than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What am I missing? Any other announcements? Phil? Um, yeah, they have the setup out here with some of their CDs yes. and some of their work, and they do have suggested price on that. Um, there's also a donation box at the end, which is if you just want to donate without purchasing anything, Yes, thank you. I was going to mention that. So, Any other announcements from anyone? Okay, I think we'll have another song and we can be dismissed.